use Lego if I'd had enough, but uh, boxes will do nicely. <coughs> Our series is called Filling the Temple for these three weeks. We're on to part two today. So we're going to read uh, Ezekiel chapter 47, then recap on last week, and get into this week. So Ezekiel chapter 47, a passage that will be familiar to quite a few of us, I'm sure. The man brought me back to the, uh, to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits, and he led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but it was now a river that I could not cross. Because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, The water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it enters into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eglayim, and there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your word. And we pray we will enter into your word and your word will enter into us. We pray now that you will touch our hearts, our spirits, our minds, our thoughts, our decision-making our lives, that we would change and grow and be strengthened and uplifted by the power of your word brought to us by the Holy Spirit today. Amen. Well, last week we uh, looked at the temple that Ezekiel saw in the vision, and we saw that this temple was very different to the one that had been previously destroyed. And we could summarize it in the following ways. It was bigger, it was better, and it was greater. And I'd like to summarize that with three mores. More, uh, more people, more priests, and more grace. A few years ago, there was a, a Christian conference taking place. And one of the main uh, invitees was late getting there. And while he was on his way, a discussion had started with some of the other Christian leaders there about what made Christianity uh, different to all the other religions of the world. 
and people were putting forward various ideas and the discussion was getting more and more heated. One person said, for example, well, Christianity is different because God comes down to earth. And other people said, well, we know that, but actually other religions have something similar to that as well. So if you say that, people might get it confused. And somebody else said, well, it's different because God rose from the dead in the form of Jesus Christ and God's Son. And so, yes, but other religions have something similar to that as well. And so the debate went on. Well, the delegate arrived late. His name, by the way, you might have heard of. His name was called C.S. Lewis. Anyone ever heard of him? Well, he got there late and he says, what's all this rumpus about? And they are telling him what's going on. He just sits there very nonchalantly. He said, oh, that's easy. Everybody stops. They look at Lewis. What do you mean that's easy? I can tell you in one word how Christianity is different from all the other religions and the teachings of Christianity are different from all the other religions of the world. So they're all ready and poised to get this one word answer. Like you are right now. Pens ready? Actually, I think you can probably remember one word. You probably don't need to write this down. Lewis said, that's easy. Grace. Grace is what makes Christianity different from all the other religions of the world. No other religion has a teaching and a heart like the grace of God that we find in the Lord Jesus and in the gospel. And that was our final summary of last week. More people, more priests, and more grace to the people in that day and to all of us today. So after the temple, we get a vision of something else. And this time, it's a river. Actually, do you know what, Adam? Could we, Adam was going to find me a glass somewhere. For, could you find me a glass for this? Actually, could you find me... Actually, a glass will do nicely. Actually, I can use it as a prop. If you'd like to wait here, we can demonstrate the river, Adam. <laughs> Maybe not. Thank you very much. Sorry, that was just for me. The prop comes later. Now, we get this vision of a river, and it may not immediately strike you as something particularly uh, important the way it did to the people listening to Ezekiel. But there is a special reason why a river would be so significant. And well, actually, before I tell you, does anybody know, why would a river be so significant to the people listening to Ezekiel talking about this temple? Have you got any brilliant Bible scholars here can second-guess me today? Sorry? They relied on water, like everybody does. You're quite right. Water was very important. Very good, Roxana. You're 50% of the way there. Keep going. The glass is half full. Sorry? Yes. Did I say that in cell the other week and you've just remembered it? No, he's a brilliant Bible scholar, Andy. Jerusalem doesn't have a river. Now, in those days, there were many big, important cities around the world. And you all have heard of some of them, like Babylon and all these other kind of places, and um, Cairo in Egypt, or um, whatever various cities they had going in those days. But all of them had one thing in common. They were all built next to a river. Now, what do you think that was? Food and? Transport and? We're back to you, Roxana. Yes, you get 100% now. Water, that's it. You build a big city next to a river called the Tyne, or something like that, because it brings food and transport, but most of all, water. So Jerusalem is the odd one out. It's the only one of those famous ancient cities that's got no water. Well, much. We'll 
talk about that momentarily. Jerusalem has a challenge. It's a famous city, but there's no water. Well, it did have some water. And let me try and explain it to you with the aid of these boxes here. Now, I'm trying to make a little 3D map of Jerusalem and Israel here. So this pile of boxes here, I want you to imagine, is the temple sitting on top of a little hill on the top of the mountains here. This is the temple area here. Got that? Now, then there's this valley here called the Kidron Valley. Then over on this side is the Mount of Olives. There's a nice hotel up here, which I recommend to you. We've stayed there. It's very nice to get a good view across that way. And then you go down the hill the other side, and you come into a place, our scripture called the Arabah, or the Jordan Valley. And then the River Jordan flows this way out towards where all of you are. So you, basically this morning, represent a group of people floating on the Dead Sea. So if you can imagine your tourists in Israel enjoying yourselves, you can lean back in the chair and float. Okay? Now, there is no water here in the temple area and in the walled city that David captured. But just down the hill, outside of the city, there is something happening right here where I put my glass. You can't see it that side. Sorry about that. But I'm just going to place it around here, around about, yeah, you see there now, round about there. That is your water supply from Jerusalem. And what happens is, under the hillside here, there, are, there is limestone. The lime absorbs the water that falls around the hills around here, and it co goes through a series of channels or caves underground. And one of those caves starts to fill up, up and up. And when it gets so full, it suddenly empties out onto the outside, onto the rocks around Jerusalem. It's got a name in Hebrew, it's called Gihon, G-I-H-O-N. And we're representing it here today by this glass of water. So in those days, if you wanted water, unlike living in some other big, posh, famous city, you would have to get out of bed, walk down the street, through the gate, through the wall of the city, down a, a windy, sloping path, down lower to where this little brook or this little spring called Gihon is and that's where you get your water for the day. The problem is when you get there it might be flowing, it might not. If it's been dry and the weather's been hot there might be nothing there. If it's been raining a lot it's fairly obvious something will be there. So Gihon actually means gushing and it was meant to say the water would pour out from time to time from the rock and you just have to, you just have to hope there was some there when you got there. That's what you did for water in those days in Jerusalem. So it's a brilliant city, it's strategic, it's the centre of Israel, it's the capital, in many ways it's the centre of the world. And yet, it's got no natural water source. Now that leads us to some big vulnerabilities. When your water is outside here, and you're outside the wall of the city, if the enemy comes to attack you, and they surround the city, guess what happens to your water source? It's not available to you. You can't go down there and get water because the animal will just capture you or kill you or something terrible. So,
need a supply most, the enemy can suddenly deny you that supply. And the same is true in life now, spiritually speaking. If a person has their supply of the life and presence and power of God and it's in them, they will be secure. But if that supply is actually not in them, but outside somewhere, then the enemy can stop them going to that supply and suddenly they dry up. Suddenly, what they needed most, especially in times of testing, isn't available to them. You know something as a pastor, over the years you watch people face challenges. And here's a curious thing. You see very different reactions from different people to the same kind of challenge. You see different outcomes depending on whether a person has got their supply inside them, like that, or whether it's outside of them, near but not inside is not enough. And you see people who you think surely they're going to be okay and they're not. They suddenly become disillusioned and our pastors used to say to us if you become disillusioned it means you had an illusion in the first place. Think about that. It was a deep pastoral insight when it was said to me. And people become bitter even and they blame God or the church or they walk away. But if your supply is inside of you, you see the same kind of people in the face of life's pressures. They become sweeter, softer, kinder, closer to God. And God sees them through and their faith comes through at the end intact in God. And you just can't always tell who it's going to be. You see folk like this. I can remember one guy. He struggled so much. He came from a very difficult background. And he had many challenges in his life. Challenges that he brought with him into the Christian life. And challenges he struggled with him afterwards. And his health deteriorated as a result of it. And he went through all kinds of difficulties. He was difficult with his wife and children at home, and you thought, where is this going to go? But you know, at the end of it all, he gloriously, wonderfully came through in God. His health was so broken, he was multiple times in hospital, and we thought several times we were actually going to lose him uh, to his health problems. But he broke through, and he made good. And right at the end there, he, he, he did so well, he actually wrote like a booklet about his testimony, and suddenly... He died from his health issues. But he died in a great place with God. He came through because he had a source of life inside him. Even though his problems were huge, the source of life inside him kept him going and the enemy couldn't stop him. Think of somebody else who looked really rock solid and strong. I remember visiting this person a few years later and they just lost everything. And I thought, surely not you. you. You just seem so together, so okay. And he asked to see me, and I went to see him, and he wasn't living with his family anymore. He'd moved out. And his whole life was a mess. How did that happen? 
Well, I think his source was outside of him. And the enemy was able to come in and prevent him from really drawing on God when he needed God most. So, it was obvious to the people of Jerusalem that this problem about the water was going to be a major vulnerability and a major challenge for them, uh, both now and in the future. So what they did first of all was, they decided to guard the water supply. And they built a couple of towers out here, and a couple of small walls, I represent with my piece of paper here, just to show you guys back there, just so you can see. And they, they built a couple of towers either side of this, and, and quite a long wall, it's probably more like this on my diagram here, because this is right out on a limb, and they tried to protect it like that, but it's so far outside the city, it didn't work. It was easily taken by the enemy, even though they put some kind of um, wall and guard towers around it. So that was a failure. So they then tried a series of things to make uh, their water source work. And the next thing they tried was to build a tunnel. So they said, if we could get the water from outside here, sort of piped into the city through a tunnel, then maybe we would be more secure. We wouldn't have to go out there in a time of crisis, the water would be coming up in the city. So they, they kind of covered it over and built like some sort of tunnel effect to try and get this water into the city. There. Problem solved. Now, we're told in the scripture we read that the, the river that Ezekiel sees rises inside the temple. The river that Ezekiel sees actually springs up here right at the top, where it's genuinely inside. This thing here gives the appearance of being inside, but actually it's not. It's still on the outside, it's just covered over, and it's still vulnerable in a number of ways. When you have a tunnel running through the rock, as well as water going along the tunnel, what else can get along there? People. Does anybody remember a famous incident in the Bible where people actually used the water tunnel that was built there? Anybody remember the story? Have you read it? David and Jerusalem, that's right. When David came to attack Jerusalem, and by the way, he would have been growing up just eight kilometers away from all of this. He would have seen this happening every day. He would have seen the people coming out, and the enemy that wanted to rob him and his family of their land and so on, were encamped just eight kilometers away on the next hill, and he could see them. You can, you can, if you go there today, you can see Bethlehem from the temple and vice versa. You can see these two not too far away. David would have known about this tunnel. So when it came time for attacking Jerusalem and taking the walled city at the top, he knew the secret. And he pointed his men towards the tunnel, and they just got in through there. Now, all the guys were up on the wall here, sort of, making fun of them. You know how kids do that. I'm the king of the castle. They don't do that anymore, do they? But they used to in my day. Nah, 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 nah. You're not going to get in here. This is our game. You can't play. And they're all lined up on the walls there, making fun of David's men. Meanwhile, without them realizing, coming up through the tunnel was Joab and a band of David's absolutely top soldiers. And with that, they took the whole city for King David and for the Israelites in the future. Now, see, the same thing is true of us in our lives. 
if we have our source outside of us, but we tunnel it in to make it look like it's inside of us, it can give the appearance that our lives are all together and we're okay. But actually, that tunnel is a vulnerability. Now, when you're answering your email, as I suppose most of you have email these days, have you ever had one of those funny emails looking at you say, here is your invoice you requested, or you've gained an inheritance of 400,000, just send us all your bank and credit card details and we'll pay it to you. Have you ever had one of those before? And there's usually a little link on there to click onto, isn't there? Has anybody ever made the terrible mistake, especially with some of them that look like they come from your bank or something? You click before you think. And then suddenly, oh, what have I done? You start pulling plugs out of your computer as quick as you can or trying to stop it or turn it off. You see, just that simple act of clicking on that link can take you to a site. And through that link in the internet, some piece of malware or some worm or some trojan or whatever virus, whatever it is they call these things these days, can come down the line back into your computer and suddenly your computer is being used as part of some terrible scam or they're reading your files or whatever it may be. And that's what the problem of a tunnel is like in our lives. If we have our source outside of ourselves, it can provide a way in for the enemy that he can exploit. Think of a young guy I knew years ago. It's not in this city, it's somewhere else. He appeared on the church on the first day of his university term. Got to know him, invite him to our house. Good young man from a solid Christian background. What I didn't know was he had a tunnel. He said the right things and he sang the right hymns and he looked the right way. But there was something about him that didn't add up. He had a source outside. And when I say a source outside, I mean this. He was looking to get his worth, value, identity, his sense of well-being from something else other than God. And he didn't think it was a problem. Now, when I tell you what he was into, you're going to say, oh, that's terrible. Do you mean to say I can't do that? No, don't worry. But he made this thing his source. Now, what he was into was a particular sport. Now, for some of you, you're going to think, oh, but I love sport. And others, you're going to think, hallelujah, I knew sport was a bad idea. I've always <laughs> told you it's the worst thing going. But he was into a particular sport. And it didn't appear harmful at all. In fact, it's a good sport. You can do this as a Christian and be a great Christian, but he wasn't. Because he looked for something in this sport that he should have been looking for in God. Do you know we can do that with a million and one things? A sport, a hobby, an interest, a person, a tradition. There's so many things that we can look for in that. Things we, we can look for something that we should be looking for in God. And so he started to look for his identity. And then he started to spend more time there. And he started to come under the atmosphere of the people there and the kind of things they were saying to him. And he's interest in God started to get diminished because he was already drinking from a well somewhere else. He didn't need to drink from God's well. 
he was filling his thirst from another source. And this went on for about two years, and I noticed he started to drop off meetings, and when he was there, he'd just go through the motions, he'd raise his hands and smile a bit, and it was all a bit tiring for him, and uh, the, the life and the energy wasn't there in him. Eventually, he picked up the ways of the people he mixed with more and formed relationships. And he went right away from God, refused to come to church, refused to have anything to do with God. To the best of my knowledge, he never came back. See, something got in through his tunnel. He had this source of supply outside. And it was doing for him what God should have been doing for him. That's how important it was in his life. Now, you can do sports and it not have that effect on you. We had a, uh, at the same time, we had a, another guy who was in the same sport as this first person I was talking about, and he did it all. He actually won a medal on public, in public, on the TV. He, he was in the Oxford team that won that year and beat Cambridge. Hallelujah. There is a God in heaven. <laughs> Since I come from Oxford, I would say that, you see, that's thing. we always support Oxford. And he won. He was in the winning team. But do you know what? He never made it his God. His supply was the life of God inside him, and he always made sports secondary. His fiancée was a superb sportswoman as well. She was a champion javelin thrower, and she would not go to the practices when the coach put pressure on her to um, do all this stuff. Uh, you know, you've got to be here, you've got to be there. She said, no, church comes first. She was a CU rep in her hall. She was in our church. She was in our cell. She was just doing great, and she wouldn't go to this stuff. She didn't let the pressure get to her. She turned up for the Oxford-Cambridge uh, athletics competition, she walked straight on and she threw the longest javelin throw ever in the history of the competition on her first throw. Walked off, that was it, medal one. <laughs> See, you can do these things and you can do them better if God is your source. But if you make these other things your source, the enemy can come in through that tunnel and eventually take over. In Ezekiel's vision, the river does not come from outside through a tunnel and up it rises supernaturally inside the, the mountain of the house of the Lord and it comes out listen it comes out from the temple isn't that an amazing place where you've got to get your water not just some little brook anymore but the temple itself every time you want to drink a water you've got to go to church hallelujah that would be a good way of increasing our membership wouldn't it you know? we'll switch off all the water in Newcastle and the only tap we're going to be here on the platform wow the water comes from the temple. That's the place of security and strength in God. It actually says that the water rises at the altar. And the altar speaks to us of the cross of Jesus. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we come to the cross and ask him to forgive us, and we surrender our lives to him, that's when that supply starts, in the temple, in our lives, in our hearts, inside us. That's when we switch from having something outside of us and inside of us. But it's only when we give him everything, and there's no other sources outside and no tunnels, that we get that incredible strength and security in God. Now, that didn't work for them, so they tried another idea. And I've called this pure or pool. Um, the, the water source here is unreliable. So you go down there to get your filling of water and you may have to wait a day or two until this, this spring Gihon actually 
fills up enough inside the, the mountain to overflow on the outside. Well, that can be very inconvenient, very time-wasting. So what they did was they tunneled, and then at the end of the tunnel, they built pools. So you could catch the water and keep the water there. Problem solved now. The water comes inside the city, and we've got a nice pool of water to go to. Now, a few years ago, Sally and I actually went to one of these pools. The most famous one is called Siloam. Have you heard of that one? It's there in the New Testament. And what they do, you, if you're up here in Jerusalem, you've got to walk a long way down. The first thing that struck me was how deep this pool is. When you actually get to the edge of it, you expect it to be on the same level as you. And you look over the edge, it's about 70 feet down. And there's stair after stair after stair to get there. And I imagine these uh, guys trying to get down there and get in the water and get healed and all the rest of it. Who gets them down? 70 feet's worth of stairs. I mean, it's a lot of stairs to, to go. So we went down, we explored, we wandered all around this. Because obviously it's going to be more or less on the same level as this one here. So they built the tunnel in here like this. And then there's a pool like this here. So you have to walk all the way down like this to get to this depth here at the bottom of Jerusalem or even below the foundations of Jerusalem, that deep level there. Well, I wonder how you would feel taking your bucket along to get some water. And when you get there, you're about to dip the bucket in, you notice at the other end of the pool somebody's doing their washing in it. And then you notice there's several guys bathing in it. And then you notice the neighbour's kids playing in it with the dog. And you're thinking, I'm not sure I really want to take this home to drink. Can you see the problem with the pool? A pool can get contaminated because it's just sitting there. Now, if you were lucky on one of those days and the brook was empty and Gihon was empty and a big surge of fresh water comes through, you might be able to scoop something decent out of your bucket and, and get on home before everybody else manages to jump in it. Otherwise, you're stuck with whatever you find there and it can be stagnant and it can be unclean can be contaminated. It's not exactly what we're after for clean, fresh, pure water. Now, spiritually speaking, that can happen to people in life as well. Things can get stale. Things can just sit there without any movement, and the result is they get stale and they lose their freshness. Boring is one word that people sometimes use for that. Tedious. Same old, same old. Did anybody say that? How's life old? Same old, same old. That can happen in the Christian life as well. If our supply becomes a pool of stagnant, just sitting there kind of water. So you know what it is. You, you see someone or you've been through a period like that yourself. You go to the meetings and... Here we go again, same song, lift our hands, hallelujah, thank you, now we've got to pray. It all becomes a drag. It all becomes too tedious. Actually, I just feel the Holy Spirit saying to me, this is true, can be true of relationships and marriages as well. Examine yourself today and see if this is true of your marriage. It's God speaking to you through this. Anyway, carry on with this. And... Something that can look like church or look like an individual Christian but is really a pool, your seat doesn't grow. 
it stays the same. I'm in the same place with God this year as I was last year and the year before. I, I had a horrible experience this year. It was truly horrible. So let me tell you what it was. I read my diary for the last three years. And at the beginning of the year, I lay out some goals, some things I want to achieve. And do you know what horrified me? I'd written the same things pretty much for three years. And I was thinking, but God, have I not moved on in these? I was horrified. I thought, God, 2018 has got to be different. I'm not going to write these sets of things for another year. Now, some of the things I had moved on in, thank the Lord, or I'd been in more trouble, but I thought, I've written these four or five things down for three or four years now, and they're still there. That's a pool. That's not a fresh flow of water. That's a stagnant area. I thought, God, you've got to help me do something about this year. I cannot go back to rereading that next year and still find myself writing the same things down. So I had a marvellous idea how to stop myself doing that, how to move on this year. I took a lesson from my wife, as you do, men. You should do. We don't do that often enough. Amen? That sounded like the lady said that, but not many of the men. <laughs> Let's repeat that, shall we? Men, we should take a lesson from our wives in key moments. Amen? Amen. That sounds a bit better. Okay, men, we've nailed you this morning, right. And the lesson was this. About two years ago, Sally put her goals and her dreams, not in just some little notebook that she forgot about in January, she stuck them on several pieces of card and stuck them inside our own sweet kind of sink washroom area that we have in our bedroom. And every morning I would go in, it's quite low, and I'd bump my head and look back and I would see these things up on the wall there that were very nice for Sally. And she was very nice for me too. Do you know what? Most of the things she put on those three boards actually came true that year. One of them was some nice holiday breaks. Hallelujah, Lord, I received these boards. After all, this is really good. There was one that had like a, a canopy on it, like a, a posh beach, and uh, people sitting underneath drinking nice drinks. Do you know, we actually found that beach, and we went there, and we had a nice little two-day break, and watched the sun go down uh, while we were eating our pizza in the evening on that beach. And I thought, this is a good idea my wife's got here. Lord, thank you for answering her prayers. This is really good. And this year I'd made myself a dream board for the first time ever. And it's, it's on my desktop as well so I can just click it and open it and it's a good thing to pray from and I'm trusting this is going to really focus my mind this year a lot more on the things I really want to see move on this year I don't want to be a stagnant pool men if you haven't done a dream board can I recommend it to you men if you haven't listened to your wives yet I recommend that to you especially amen it went very quiet then I'm sure I'm preaching the wrong sermon here okay now Let's move on to our next one. Um, my fourth and last sort of area in this is I call this country or contained. A tunnel doesn't work. Let's go back in order. A water source outside does not work. It's too vulnerable to the enemy. A tunnel doesn't work because the enemy can get in there. A pool doesn't work because it can go stagnant. So, here we go. We've got something that works. A water source... That is, inside the temple, right at the altar, which speaks to us of Christ dying for us. That's a good water source. Now, 
as we read this, we find something about this water source. It doesn't stop. It's not like the brook Gihon, which is inconsistent. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. That's another problem in the Christian life, by the way. This water source that's inside keeps going. Now, I'm not sure if this water source is anointed like I need it to be, but we'll see what we can do. The water keeps flowing and it overflows. It's working. You can't see that side, but I'll show you. It's coming out this side and it's flowing back past Gihon, where that old spring was. And it's flowing down to the valley. Now, the, 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 let me just put this in here. The, the idea is the water's got to get from the temple but then it flows into the city. But it doesn't stop at the city. Ezekiel says the man takes him outside of the, the temple and he washes it and he follows it down. Now the most amazing thing happens. He measures off 500 meters and it's already getting deep. He measures off another 500, another 500. It's about 1.5 or 2 kilometers. I did the calculation twice and got it wrong both times, I think. But within about a mile, he's swimming in this thing. He can't stand up in it. In other words... The depth this river achieves in a small space is supernatural. Rivers don't normally flow that deep that quickly. This is all supernatural from now on. I'll tell you why it's supernatural, because the water has got to get to you floating in the Dead Sea. And I tell you this, the Dead Sea is really, really dead. I have been there, and I have watched people floating on the Dead Sea, and I have to tell you, it's one of the most awful experiences of my life. It is horrible, truly awful. It is painful. You can't swim in it, because if you swim, the, the salt will go in your eyes, and it's like acid burning in your eyes. So they say, do not go face down the water. They give you instructions. They say, you can only lie flat on the water with your head up that way, like you're doing backstroke, but don't do any strokes, or you will get burned horribly by the salt in the water. So you kind of just plodge through some clarts. Sorry. Get through, you squelch through some mud, for those who don't speak Geordie, and you, you get into the water, and you just lie back gently, and you try and float there. Every cut on your body is alive with pain and stinging <laughs> as the water tries to get... Now, Sally's saying, I'm really enjoying this, isn't this? It's horrible. I'd been gardening the week before. I had scratches everywhere, and it was attacking me everywhere I had a cut and a scratch. And everybody else is there enjoying it. I hate this thing. It's dreadful. <laughs> this salt is painful and it's awful. And really, if you've been there and enjoyed it, well, God bless you. You must pray for me because I really did not enjoy it. I got out as quick as I could. I, I lay down. It's true, isn't it? I lay down. I did the tourist thing so I could have the photographs and I got straight back out. <laughs> this is dead. It is painfully dead. Now, the water is going to flow out of the temple, down the the water is going to flow out of the temple, down the side, into the valley of Kidron, which we've walked in. It's going to flow up the hill, over the top of the Mount of Olives, down this way into the Jordan River, what they call the Arabah, the, the Valley of Jordan. Then it's going to turn 90 degrees, and it's going to flow all the way out to where you lot are, and then I'll be able to join you. Because you may be enjoying the Dead Sea, but I wasn't. But when the water of the River of Life gets there, it's going to get rid of all that salt and I'm not going to be stinging and hurting anymore and then we can go for a proper swim and really enjoy ourselves. That's the power of this water. And everywhere it goes on that journey, 
life is going to spring forth. Life is going to spring forth. So you can't keep this water in the temple. You can't even keep it in the city. Once you've got that water flowing, it has a habit of going where everywhere it wants to go. It breaks out into the nation. It breaks out into the city. It breaks out into the countryside. It breaks out into the river of life. And it actually breaks out into the basin of death called the Dead Sea. The deadest, deadest sea on earth. How it crosses that gap there is the subject of another sermon. I've been told not to get sidetracked and preach on it today. But it's got a, a miracle is going to be needed to fill in that valley there. This is supernatural. A supernatural flow. Now, tell me what this supernatural flow looks like. I go to a, a meeting one night years ago. And as I'm standing on the meeting, I'm standing next to one of the senior leaders in, in, in our group of church in those days. And there's this guy there, and he would not shut up. I mean, he was just so excited about being a Christian. He was praying and speaking in tongues and prophesying and worshipping and doing everything. I thought, what's he going on with this? I mean, we all like to get a bit sort of excited, but he was just over the top. Now, you imagine, coming from someone like me, that's quite a big statement. He's so over the top. What's he doing? So in the end, I nudge one seat in his mouth. Who is that guy? He said, ah, he said, he's been like that since the day he got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but who is he? He said, ah, oh, you don't know who he is, do you? I said, well, he told me his name, which I won't repeat. But he had a terrible background. He was actually part of a criminal gang in a city in our country. Most of that gang went to prison for notorious murders. God got a hold of this member of the gang, totally turned him around, brought him to a place of repentance and salvation, getting his life straight with Jesus. And he was just so thrilled at the grace of God who could forgive a sinner like him. The river was flowing. He had his supply inside. His life was truly changed. He had a genuine, deep down, inner experience of, the, of God and of the Lord Jesus washing him clean and the river started to flow. And it didn't just stop with him. It flowed out everywhere. Every meeting he went to, it was coming out in all directions. You couldn't stop him. Do you know what? I felt ashamed and embarrassed. I thought, here am I. Been an old stick in the mud complaining about him. Would that all God's people were so overflowing like that we had a real problem to keep everybody quiet. Wouldn't that be a wonderful problem to have? The river flows and brings life. And you'll see some of the life that's, uh, that's mentioned there are things like fish. Fish. There are fish to catch. Imagine the Dead Sea with fish in it. Some of you like fishing would never get away from it. There's nothing there now, I promise you that. Or fruit. You read about fruit springing up everywhere this river goes, it brings life and fruit. When you actually go to Israel and you see the trouble they have to grow fruit there because the land is so dry and so hot, this would have meant so much to them. And it talks about being fruitful in the 12 months of the year. Now, I'm not trying to push a point here, but fish, fruit, and 12. Does that sound like anything you've ever heard from me or here, here before? Work it out. 
This is life. It's life-giving. This is not boring old dull religion. This is this wonderful, exciting life of the Holy Spirit. Now, we noted last week, there are some people who think the temple will be built out of bricks and stone as Ezekiel's temple is, is the plan is there in the Bible. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But one thing I have to say to those people is this. Here's a challenge for you. You can get people to bring, bring bricks and actually build a temple. What you cannot do is create the river. See, this whole vision, or series of visions, is not just about the temple. It's about the temple and the river together. The temple gives rise to the river. The river gives life to the temple. You have to have them both. And no matter how much you build a temple on top of that mountain, not one drop of water will flow unless God supernaturally does it, fills in this valley, and causes what was never there before, this internal, inside, non-tunneled, non-pooled, but fountain well springing up of life to flow out of the temple, into the city, through the city, and out of the city, and touch the nation. Only God can do that. But praise God, I believe he wants to. Praise God, I believe these are days when the Holy Spirit wants to move in us. We, we were stirred up in our worship today and in our singing today to call out to the Holy Spirit to come and flow in us, just like this river. This week, we saw something remarkable in the news. Does anybody know what I'm thinking of? Yeah? Billy Graham. We saw in the news that Dr. Billy Graham went to be with his Lord and Saviour, 99 years old. I wanted to pay tribute to a remarkable man this morning who preached to hundreds of millions. I think the estimate is he preached to at least 200 million people personally. And to give you some perspective, that's the same as the population of the world when Jesus died. He personally preached the gospel to the world's population of Jesus' day. It's a bit bigger now. But for one man, that's pretty good going. I think you'll agree, yes? And do you know what's remarkable for me? I've been watching the newspapers and watching the, the, the news. Nobody has said a bad word about him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, normally if there's a bad word to be said about you, the newspapers will find it. One playwright got some bad press. And he was unhappy about what they said about him. And um, they said to him, we said, well, don't you believe in freedom of the press? He said, yes, I'm with you on freedom of the press. It's the newspapers I can't stand. And generally speaking, the newspapers can be pretty mean when they want to be. Actually, I don't mean to do them down. I've been in the paper a few times. They've been really good with me every time. So let's put the other side of the story out there to be fair to the journalists and newspapers. They might be listening to this, that's all. <laughs> we love the newspapers, really, when they're good. But you know what? They... They didn't say anything negative about him, perhaps because there was nothing negative to say. He walked humbly before God, was honest about his mistakes, and 
changed a nation and nations. You know, we were, we were in some little setting the other night and we went round the room and people saying, well, it was my dad or my mum that heard him preach here that got him saved, that got her saved, that got me in the church. And just even in a small gathering, a room, the effect of his life was remarkable. And somebody asked him at the end of his life, you know, what would you have done differently? And this is what he said. He said, I would have prayed more read my Bible more, travelled less, and by that I think he meant particularly not, not neglect his family, but really invest in his family. And then the last thing he said was this, and enjoy God more. Now there's a man with the river inside him. It's a great test, isn't it? Enjoy God more. Can I give you some homework this week? Please turn to your neighbour and say, this week, enjoy God more. Are you up for that? We're here because of this great God and his great grace and his great heart and his great love for us. So I'm charging you this week, go and enjoy God more. Now to do that, you'll probably have to do those other things Billy Graham did, like pray a bit more and read your Bible a bit more and be a bit less taken up with some things that distract you from your family and what the kingdom's really about. But do enjoy God more this week. That's your homework. Can anybody accept the homework this week? Okay, quite a few of you. Well, when you enjoy God more this week, next week when we come, the river should be flowing. Because it's a great sign of having the river inside of you, that you touch God and God touches you, and that we enjoy him more. And out of that enjoyment, a river of life flows that transforms us and the people around us. here's my question, my conclusion. Do I have the river of life in me? Is that river in you? Or are you relying on a tunnel or a pool or a bucket to go outside of yourself? Is the river in me? Is the river of life in me and flowing from me supernaturally into the world? Let's stand and pray, shall we? for some of us before we finish and here's what I want to pray first of all if you feel you've become a bit stagnant like that pool or things have lost their freshness or you're just going through the motions and it's a bit of a duty and it's lost that excitement about like that guy I was telling you about earlier you just couldn't keep quiet about the love and goodness of God if it's become like that, I want to pray for you. That the river would be opened up, be unstopped, and would flow again in your life. That God would be the passion of your heart. That his spirit would be alive and working in your life. And if you know that's you, you don't have to do this, but I'm encouraging you to, as a response to God, you can just raise your hand so I can pray for you now. You're raising your hand to God, not to me, saying, God... Give me more of your river of life. I need that life. It's become a bit same. It's become a bit same old, same old. I don't want it to be like that, Lord. I want it to be fresh and new and living again in me like it has been, like I know it can be. Lord, 
everyone now who's looking for a refreshing from here, for the old stagnant water to be washed away by a brand new gushing of that river of life that brings fresh, clean, clear, cool water and times of refreshing from the Lord. Lord, I pray, this week, touch our lives, touch the lives of everyone who's raised their hand there, that they may enjoy you more this week and know you more this week and encounter you more this week and overflow into their country, their city, their neighbourhood, their family, their workplace more this week in a marvellous way. Lord, send your spirit now, I pray. In Jesus' name. The second person I want to pray for here is those who know that there's a source outside of them and they may have covered it over with a tunnel into their lives. It may look like it's inside, but actually there's an outside source they're relying on. A, an activity, an identity, a relationship, a, a way of living for something that's not part of that temple, but has somehow been brought in and given the appearance of being part of the temple. If you know you're sitting on a tunnel in your life, when I say to you, tell the Lord about it right now. Respond to it right now. Shut down that tunnel and find the fresh water that comes from the altar of God. And for that, we're coming back to the cross right now, saying, Lord, I'm sorry for having that water source that's not your water source, for having somewhere to drink that's not your temple river. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. It may be too embarrassing. I'm going to ask you to bow your heart before God now and tell him in the quietness of your own heart, God, I need help. I have a tunnel outside me and I know the enemy can get in through it. Whatever that thing is, we're going to pray for you now. But I do encourage you, don't just keep it yourself. Get help from your cell leader, the person who spiritually looks after you. Father, I pray now, even as your sons and daughters are asking you for forgiveness and help and strength and filling that tunnel, I pray now, Lord, for resolve and that grace we heard about earlier to block off those tunnels for good, to cut them off and say, I'm not going there anymore, and to drink only from your river of delights. Lord, I pray now, give strength and grace and new momentum and new motivation to those who need to close off those tunnels. In Jesus' name. Amen. And finally, if you've never come to the altar, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if your supply in life is not God, if you're looking for your identity to come from others, from what you can present yourself as, or a job, or a career, or material things, anything else that isn't Jesus at the cross, those water sources will dry up and let you down one day. It can never satisfy you. But this river of life flows ever and ever. It's the best there is. And if you've never given your life to Jesus today,
while our heads are bowed to raise your hands. And we're going to pray a prayer together. And you can pray this prayer and mean it with all your heart. Does anyone want to do that today? Does anyone want to give their life to Jesus? This is a brilliant opportunity to drink from that river and have a different life. Let's pray together. Father, can you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your river.